just a few verses here related to our text in the book of Revelation, Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17. We're reading through verse 19. This is God's inspired and inerrant word. It deserves our careful attention. Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 is our text. We'll begin our reading at chapter 20 and verse 11, and we'll continue through chapter 21 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part 
will be in the lake that burns with, burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please, as we turn to our psalm of preparation for the preaching and hearing of God's word, 138a in the book of Psalms for singing. O Lord our God, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your holy word. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Send out the light and the truth of your Holy Spirit. Let him lead us and bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling places, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation 21 is like a breath of clean, fresh air in the sequence of the visions that God gave to the Apostle John and through John that he gives to us to see as well. It's it's like walking out into a beautiful garden on a spring morning after the deadness of winter and seeing all things that have become new. So we come to this 21st chapter Every one of Christ's enemies has been conquered. Every opposition to God's purposes has been neutralized. The beast, the false prophet, the devil, death, and Hades have been thrown into the lake of fire. And along with these, those whose names are not written in the book of life, those who have followed the beast... Everything that was once subjected to the futility of sin is transformed in the new creation. A new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem, verses 1 and 2, and all things new, verses five, uh, verse 5. Now, the newness of this passage, as, as many have observed, isn't disconnected from the blessedness that God's people experience in this present world. The, the Bible describes their salvation in terms of this transformation of newness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. God's people are presently the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not waiting until uh, we get to heaven to be the bride of Christ. No, the Bible presents us now as uh, the, the bride of, of the Lord Jesus Christ being prepared for heaven. God presently dwells among the bride of Christ, as he has said, is said to do here in the text before us. They are his people. He is their God. 
He gives them now to drink of the water of life without cost. Verse 6. Yet at the same time, the book of Revelation points us unmistakably to the eternal life, a glorified existence that God's people will enjoy before God's throne and before the Lamb's throne in heaven itself. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8 is linked to the last section of Revelation 20 that we dealt with last Lord's Day, describing the last judgment by the mention of the disappearance of the first heaven and earth at the beginning, Revelation 21 verse 1 and 20 verse 11, as well as of uh, the mention of the lake of fire and brimstone at the end of this section, first section in, uh, in Revelation 21, uh, verse 8, and then uh, its reference point in chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. It also looks forward to the following section in Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10 uh, of the bride, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The section that we're dealing with here early in chapter 21 shows us the outcome of the last judgment for those whose names are written in the book of life. That last section in chapter 20 shows us the outcome for the dead whose names are not written in the book of of life. Here, we're dealing with those whose names are indeed recorded in Uh, the book of life. Verses 1 through 4, we're shown that in the new creation, God's people will, will be perfected and free from all harm because God's consummated, glorious presence will reside with them forever. We have in uh, these Four verses of Revelation, first four verses of Revelation 21, in the first place, a new heaven and a new earth. And secondly, the new Jerusalem. A new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. The first thing that John sees, John says, I saw in this vision, he saw a new heaven and a new earth, taking the place of the first heaven and the first earth, because the first heaven and the first earth has, had passed away, uh, verse 1 says, or as John describes it in chapter 20 and verse 11, earth and heaven had fled away from Christ's presence at the last judgment. The word here tells us something about this new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. It tells us uh, that it's a renewal. It tells us that uh, the first heaven and the first earth are not utterly destroyed, 
but they're rather renewed, revitalized, perfected. And that's in this word new that appears here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, four times. A new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem in our text. It's a word that ordinarily indicates qualitative newness rather than something that had not previously existed, in which case another word for new in the original language is used. Uh, This adjective new used here refers to something that's new but has its origins in the old. The new covenant came forth out of the old covenant. The new Jerusalem has its source in the old Jerusalem. The new man is a transformation of the old man. The new heaven and the new earth are based on the old. The new creation is a regeneration or a renewal. It's that a regeneration or restoration that's referred to in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 18, the restoration of all things mentioned in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21. This renovation of the new heaven and uh, the old heaven and the old earth, uh, as Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27 shows, involves uh, a removal of that which is passing away, of that which is old and shaken. God is doing something new in the new heaven and the new earth. And Revelation 21, verse 1, should therefore be understood as a a prophecy of the transformation of creation instead of an outright new creation. God isn't going to annihilate heaven and earth, as some have thought, and then create them anew out of nothing. Uh, The melting down of the elements with fire spoken of in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12, occurs in preparation for a renewed earth. Paul, you remember, explains in Romans 8 and verse 20 that just as creation shared in the results of Adam's fall being subjected to futility, so too the creation shares in Christ's redemptive accomplishment. And Paul discusses that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 17. There indicates that in the new creation, uh, the the pattern of Christ and and his resurrection is followed. Uh, and, And that just as Jesus in his body was transformed in his resurrection, so at the coming of the Lord, the bodies of his people will not be annihilated, but completely changed and glorified. John describes what he's seeing in the words of God's promise to Israel in that passage that we read this morning in Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 
65, verses 17 through 19 in particular. For, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. The former things referred to here are those woes that Israel experienced and that they have endured under the covenant curse for their sins. As the following verses show there in Isaiah by portraying the reversal of the curse. No weeping, no crying, no premature death, no frustration in home building or farming, no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, Isaiah 65, verse 25. Isaiah prophesies a restoration of Israel in a new heaven and new earth where joy and gladness will prevail in contrast to the old earth characterized by sadness and sorrow. That passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in particular chapter 3 verse 13, is part of Peter's commentary on Uh, the Isaiah 65 passage uh, concerning the new heavens and the new earth, in which the apostle says that in this new created order emerging from the fiery purging of the present heavens and earth, righteousness will dwell. The new creation that John describes here is certainly different than the one that we know now, radically changed, radically different. And among these differences is that in the new earth, verse 1 of our text says, there was no sea. It's hard for us earth dwellers to imagine an earth without the sea, an earth without the waters that cover earth, an earth without oceans and vast seas. In both the Old and New Testaments, the sea, and we've talked about this before, of course, here in Revelation when the sea is mentioned a number of times, the sea is that chaotic region from which threat and hostility arise. The sea that no longer exists in this vision to John symbolizes the realm from which hostile forces emerge and devastate the earth. Daniel saw four hostile beasts representing pagan powers that would arise in history, to oppress God's people. And they come up out of the sea, Daniel 7, verse 3. It's from the sea, you remember that John saw the beast emerge and the storms that God's people endure in this life come forth, many of them, from the sea, the hurricanes, 
uh, that we, many hurricanes that we have endured, if you've lived around this part of the country long enough, you've, you've been through hurricanes. Uh, those come across uh, the sea. The sea in heaven is calm and clear as glass, Revelation 15.2. But the earthly sea gave rise, gave rise to, the, to the beast, uh, to uh, the dragon and his diabolic power and uh, the diabolic war that he was waging against the saints. Its absence in the new earth further emphasizes the eradication of all opposing forces that would threaten the purity and the peace of God's people. The old heaven and old earth are transformed into a new heaven and new earth to prepare a home for God's people, a place where chaos and the fear of harm from dangerous threats, whether the physical or the spiritual realm, no longer exist. They're all gone. Imagine a place where everything that now gives rise to fear in your heart, the many dangers of the world, all threats of harm, the things that visit you in the night, the stuff of bad dreams, no longer exist. A place where every existential and metaphysical threat is completely absent. Where there's perfect peace, harmony, and blessedness. That's the ideal of utopia. That's the ideal of paradise. But such a place has not existed on the earth that God created since the Garden of God in Eden. John's prophecy announces that it will. John's prophecy proclaims to us that a day is coming for God's people when they'll no longer be subject to the dangers that confront them in this life, no longer be subject to the threats that oppose them for opposing forces in this life and this world. Jesus reverses the effects of the fall. You remember how Jesus comforted his disciples with this great truth. This was a time of great crisis for his people. Jesus was beginning to talk about how he was going away. He's talking about how uh, the, uh, the, he was going to be handed over to uh, the Jewish leaders, uh, that the scribes and uh, the, the Pharisees, that the high council of the Jews were, was going to hand, hand him over uh, to be killed, that he was going to die, and that he was going to go away. And you can imagine how that struck the hearts of his disciples. Our master's going away. This one with whom we have walked, uh, this one with whom we have shared our existence for many years, 
during his time. Uh, we've, wa- we've, we've witnessed his miracles. We have uh, benefited so greatly from his teaching. Our souls have been nourished. Our souls have been thread. And now uh, he's going away. Jesus says uh, to these disciples in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the place that our text speaks about. That glorious place that renewed heaven and earth. And Christ has ascended and he has has prepared for us a place, a place in glory, a place where all of the troubles of this life can no longer touch us. Heaven and earth are renewed. And God's people must be renewed to be fit for heaven. That brings us then to the new Jerusalem in verse 2 of our text. Jerusalem uh, is referred to a number of times in the Old Testament as the holy city. Even as, as it is here, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's referred to uh, the holy city in Isaiah 48. It's referred to uh, the holy city, uh, referred to as the holy city in, in Daniel's prophecy in Nehemiah, as well as in Matthew's gospel. And here, Jerusalem is called new in order to harmonize it with the new heaven and new earth to which it belongs. John mentions the new Jerusalem only in passing here, really, in verse 2. Later, in verses 9 to 14, he gives us a detailed description of of this holy city. In Revelation, the old Jerusalem, you remember, is called the great harlot, and Babylon the great, representing apostate Israel, chapter 17, verse 5. The visions to John have recorded uh, the miserable fall of apostate Israel. And the apostle is now given a vision of a new and holy city coming down from, uh, out of heaven uh, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for himself. How beautiful must this vision have struck John? After the vision, uh, quite an ugly vision, frankly, of a harlot, Jerusalem of of old as a a harlot, contrasted to this beautiful and glorious bride coming down out of heaven. After this abominable harlot has fallen, fallen, The new Jerusalem is a symbol of the new covenant and 
those who are embraced within that new covenant. It includes all that the redeeming work of Christ secures to those who believe in his name. The new Jerusalem is the church of Jesus Christ, uh, as Paul describes her in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32. In Revelation 21, verse 9, the new Jerusalem is called the wife of the Lamb. The bride isn't just in the holy city. The bride is the holy city in this revelation to John. In John's description of the marriage supper of the Lamb, chapter 19, verses 7 to 8, we're told that the bride has made herself ready for the supper and that it was given to her to clothe herself in pure attire. So in that vision uh, that John saw there in chapter 19, the bride is readying herself. There's something that she's doing. She's engaging uh, in the preparation uh, as a, as a bride for her glorious uh, groom, Jesus Christ. She's engaging in the work of sanctification. She is engaging, uh, seeking to be holy, as God is holy. Uh, but then uh, we're also told, of course, that uh, her attire is given to her. Uh, it was given to her to wear these, uh, this pure, this white, these, uh, this, this, uh, this bridal attire. So God uh, is preparing her as well. But here in Revelation 21, there's no indication of the bride preparing herself. Uh, There's a finality uh, about what John sees here. Uh, The bride is made ready. Made ready as a bride adorned for Her husband. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new Jerusalem, appears in this vision to John in Revelation 21 in the fullness of her perfection. This is the consummation of God's people in her marital relationship as the bride of the Lamb. In verses 3 and 4, a loud voice from heaven provides commentary on what John has seen so far. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Well, we wrestled last week uh, with exactly who it was on the white throne. I wish I'd read some of the commentary I read on this passage last week before I mentioned what I did last week. But it's interesting, as you read the commentators, they wrestle with, uh, with who it is on the great white throne. And some say because, it's, uh, because throughout Revelation, uh, it's God who is represented as being on the throne, he who sits on the throne, then it must be God who sits on the throne. But uh, what I said to you last week is that Uh, The Bible represents Jesus as the one who uh, is uh, prevailing as judge over uh, the last judgment. Uh, In many places, we looked at many places uh, where that was the case. And so some some will say, uh, well, 
we think this is God, uh, the Father sitting on the throne, but, but it's not problematic to mention that Jesus is on the throne as well. I pointed you to Daniel and that vision uh, of the Ancient of Days and the one coming up to the Ancient of Days uh, last week. And I mentioned to you that what Daniel saw in that vision, uh, when he saw that vision, uh, he saw thrones uh, in the plural. And I think that what, jo- what Daniel saw there is uh, both the Father and the Son. He saw both the Father and the Son of Man on the throne. And I think that's, it's best understood here uh, that this voice out of heaven is uh, from the throne is the voice of the Father and the voice of the Son. The voice of God and the voice of the Lamb. The one who says, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Uh, The voice proclaims the final fulfillment of the Emmanuel theme, the God with us theme that runs through Redemptive history. Verse 3, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. The intimacy that God had uh, with God that that made Eden uh, the the paradise uh, was lost when man sinned against him and fell from the estate wherein he was created. And that meant that from that time forward, there would be something, uh, there would be an element missing in that intimacy with God. Uh, it meant that those cool walks with God and uh, those, the walking with God in the cool of the day uh, in the garden and the communion that uh, Adam and Eve shared with God, that's so evident there, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, that, that that would be uh, an element of that nearness of God, the, an element of the, of the closeness of God among man uh, would be absent going forward in fallen man. The tabernacle of God in, in the midst of Israel, in the wilderness, uh, picked up on some of these themes of Paradise, the very construction of, of that tabernacle. Remember, uh, there were uh, fruit tree patterns on the curtains and cherubim guarding its innermost sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. Yet, both tabernacle and temple in the Old Testament were faint previews of the eventual, eternal dwelling of God among his people. The new covenant brings the symbolism of the tabernacle into greater realization for us. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation of Jesus Christ 
is the essence of that promise of God, the covenant promise that God is among men and he will dwell with them. And now the believer enters with boldness into the holy place, the holy of holies in heaven itself through the blood of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 10, 19. So in view of all of these things, and in view of this uh, reality of the new covenant, how significant are the words of the text before us? He shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and he himself will be among them. Thus, they become the temple and the tabernacle of the living God. The church of Jesus Christ in all ages becomes the tabernacle and the temple of God. God's promised presence in the vision to John marks the consummation of an intimate covenant commitment that God made to his people, often expressed in the Old Testament in such words as we find in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 27. My dwelling place also will will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Words that are echoed here in the vision to John. The wicked tried to hide from God's presence in the judgment portrayed in Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 to 17. And the first heaven and the first earth had fled from Christ's awful presence on, upon the great white throne, chapter 20, verse 11. But for those who are his people, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, God's nearness will be an infinite comfort. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Removing the mourning veil that covered his people and swallowing up death forever, as he promised in Isaiah 28 and verse 5, echoed in the book of Revelation in chapter 7. And verse 17. This is a vivid image of our Lord's personal comfort to every grieving heart, which shows that it's His presence among us that will do away with the first things. The things that now threaten our joy and our peace. Because God dwells with his people. He will do away with what someone has aptly called the fourfold army of earthly woe. There will be no longer any death, mourning, crying, or pain. As hard as it is for us to imagine what the world would be like without the sea, I think it's harder for us to imagine what this world would be like without this fourfold army of woe. 
this army that has assaulted us all of our lives will be conquered once and for all. Let this vision of a new heaven and a new earth transform your understanding of what eternity will be like for believers. Many people, even many Christians, think of eternity as an ethereal, eternal existence. Some even picturing saints floating along on clouds with their golden harps. But the new creation is described in these verses as a fundamental physical transformation of the old creation and its renewal. At this time, the bodies of believers will be raised from the dead and will be glorious transformed. This bodily resurrection, transformation is is pictured in our passage in the church uh, being perfected as, as the bride. And so the destiny of God's people is to live with resurrected physical bodies in the newly transformed physical environment of the eternal new heaven and new earth. Now, I'm not saying that we can begin to fully comprehend what that's going to be like. Hardly, but this passage gives God's people a better understanding of what heaven will be like for them, what their eternal future will consist of. So let the transformation of the new heaven and the new earth, uh, rather the transformation of the old heaven and the old earth into the new heaven and the new earth, let these radically transform your understanding of what eternity will be like for you. Let this vision be a comfort to you who are experiencing significant sadness and sorrow in this life, who are undergoing the trials and tribulations that uh, in a significant way uh, let these truths be a comfort to you uh, that there's coming a day when all of these things uh, will flee away like the old heaven and old earth fled away from the great white throne at the judgment seat of Christ. And let this vision of the new Jerusalem impel you to a greater intimacy, a deeper communion with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These images that we've been considering, these symbols uh, that we've been looking at together here in Revelation chapter 21, speak of the closest possible relationship between God and his people. The church is prepared as a bride 
characterized as being in a marital relationship with God. God tabernacles or dwells intimately with his people as husband and wife dwell intimately with one another in marriage. The church's final resting place is fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, a new earth, along with the new heavens. And if this is our destiny, if, this were, if that's where we're headed as Christians, shouldn't we be preparing for it now? How can we cultivate intimacy with God in a society that's so devoted to pleasure, superficiality, and overactivity? God wants our true desire and our true joy to be in him forever. What are you doing now to cultivate your desire for him? Jesus says in John 17, 3, that for the Christian, eternal life begins now. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that means that we, for us, who belong to Christ, eternal life begins here in this life, and we ought to be viewing this life as a preparation for the next life and our communion, this deep intimacy with our God. And we do so primarily through the preaching of the word, through reading and meditating on God's word. That's how we know God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing eternal life in this world? That is, as Jesus defined eternal life in this world, are you getting to know God and his son, Jesus Christ? Knowing God, that's what eternal life is all about, Jesus says. I'm not asking you if you pay respects to him on Sunday by coming to worship. I'm asking if you're getting to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent now. We come to God as we sit under the preaching of the word. We come to God as we read and meditate on his word. And it's illogical not to mention foolish, to expect to have everything to do with God in the next world after having little to nothing to do with him in this one. May God bless this meditation on heaven itself.
to our ears. And may God help us to see and hear what the Spirit says to the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the revelation that you gave to John. Though hard to understand sometimes, uh, you've nevertheless given us some things that we can latch on to, concrete things, including uh, a transformed heaven and a transformed earth uh, in which we shall dwell in transformed resurrection bodies, wholly perfected. Do, O Lord, uh, even as you give us promises concerning the troubles of this world, as we face them now, the sorrow, the sadness, the hostile forces arrayed against the church, uh, the many dangers and threats do Give us peace, we pray, through our communion with you now, and help us to know you now. We pray, O oh God, that you would uh, break through to our stubborn minds, uh, minds that uh, believe that simply showing up on Sundays at, at church is what you've called us to do. Drill it through, O oh Lord, into our thick heads, uh, that you are after communion with us, a deep and an abiding communion through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that that's what heaven is all about. And grant, O oh Father, that we would, that our, our understanding of heaven would be transformed, what heaven will be like for us, and grant uh, that we might receive comfort from uh, the, the, the promise that you give us that uh, our, our tears will be wiped away, uh, that no longer will we experience death or mourning or crying or pain when the first things pass away. And grant, O oh God, your Spirit's continued work in us as we seek to lay hold of the word that you've laid before us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.